Hello, and welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you're new, welcome. And if not, glad to have you back. This podcast will cover true crime, mysteries, urban legends, and all things weird from the Asian continent. If you are into any of the things I mentioned, then you're in the right place. Now let's begin this madness, shall we? South Korea, officially known as the Republic of Korea. It's a country located in northern East Asia, on the southern half of the Korean Peninsula. If you check the map, it's sort of between China and Japan. The capital of South Korea is Seoul, and this city is considered one of the world's leading global city, a city with the fifth largest economy and one of the most sustainable cities in the world. South Korea's population as of recent is estimated to be around 51.5 million. The country is about 39,000 square miles, which would be about one-fourth the state of California. The official language of South Korea is Korean, and they have two kinds of writing, including Hangul and Hanja. Hanja is basically Chinese characters taken from the Chinese language, and incorporated into the Korean language, but with their own pronunciation. The history of Korea is very lengthy, with the earliest Korean artifact dating back to around 8000 BC. The country has since gone under several kingdom and dynasty changes, and was also at one point colonized by Japan. From 1910 till the end of World War II, Korea declared its independence from Japan in 1945, but soon after began facing problems with a unified Korea. In 1948, Korea was divided into North and South Korea. So South Korea should not be lumped together with North Korea, as they are considered different countries. South Korea is best known for brands such as Samsung, LG, Hyundai, Kia Motors, and various other cosmetic brands such as Nature Republic, Innisfree, the face shop, etc. Today's true crime case takes us to the country of South Korea, where we discuss and analyze the murderer who was dubbed the raincoat killer, or the Korean Hannibal Lecter. He killed for about 10 months, from September of 2003 to July of 2004, where he mostly targeted rich people and sex workers. This man is known as one of the most prolific serial killers in South Korea, with a victim count of about 20, but there may have been a few more. So without further ado, let's discuss the creep known as Yoo Yong Chul. His last name is Yoo, so that's what I'll be referring to him for this episode. Spoiler alert, but not really, there will be descriptions of violent murder so some listener discretion will be advised. Yu was born on April 18, 1970, to a regular blue-collar family in South Korea. He was an accidental baby. 
his mother considered not having him but well she did and he pretty much grew up believing he was an unwanted child his parents separated shortly after his birth so he was sent to live with his grandmother along with his siblings he eventually moved back in with his father a few years later the reason for his parents separation was due to financial issues they were not financially well off and that really really bugged him he was jealous of the rich and was made fun of at school constantly for being poor i believe that being bullied as a child for something you cannot control is a lot more traumatizing but it really doesn't excuse his future behavior he was very much into the arts such as painting drawing music and literature but he was denied admission to his dream high school and everything sort of went downhill from there he simply could not face being denied again and again whether it be having a good family having money or even pursuing his dreams you were said to be colorblind so i guess that sort of halted his artistic pursuit In 1988, he committed his first criminal act by breaking into his neighbor's house where he stole a guitar. His criminal actions sort of piled on from there as he was caught stealing money, cars, electronics. Around the year 1993, he met, fell in love, and married a masseuse. And in 1994, they had a son together. Instead of getting his shit together, he continued to steal and extort people for a living he was basically in and out of jail throughout his 20s trying to provide for his family in his own way in the year 2000 he was convicted of the rape and child abuse of a 15-year-old girl and was sentenced to 3 years and 6 months in prison this was pretty much the last straw for his wife she took their son and quickly filed for divorce Looking back, I suppose that this was probably the best decision of her life. After about 3 years in September of 2003, Yu was released from prison. But he had nothing. He had no family, he had no money, and he was really angry at the world. Well, to be more exact, he was really angry at the rich people. He moved back to Seoul and upon seeing the wealthy residential areas, he became even more vengeful. That's when he journeyed into the world of murder. And I will refer to the following murders as part 1 of his psychotic murder trip. His first attack occurred just a couple weeks after he got out of prison. He broke into a home and murdered an elderly couple. a university professor age 72 and his wife age 67 he killed them by stabbing them first and then bashing their heads in with a hammer his second attack occurred about another 2 weeks later where he once again broke into a house and murdered three people an elderly woman aged 85 her daughter aged 60 and a 30-year-old grandson all with a hammer About a week after that, he broke into another home and murdered a 69-year-old woman by bludgeoning her head with a hammer. 
Her son found her when he returned home, and while she was alive when he found her, she died shortly after. The fourth attack happened roughly three weeks later. It was the same exact method. He breaks in, bashes his victims in the head with a hammer. Except for this time, Mr. Genius somehow hurt himself in the process and decides to burn down the entire house in order to destroy evidence. It is also believed that one of the victims from that attack was a baby. So here's the thing about these four murders. Two of these took place in a district known as Gangnam, which is generally regarded as a place with a higher living standard, or, in other words, an area where rich people live. Yes, this is the same Gangnam from that song, Gangnam Style. Another of the two murders took place in an area called Jongno, which is a leading district known for its business, culture, and politics. So, yes, another very high-profile area. These families were all well-off, and at least one victim from each family was an elderly person. So Yu did not just target the rich, but he picked the rich senior citizens in Seoul. I know, he's probably targeting them because they cannot really fight back. What a coward, right? These murders pretty much directly reflect his hatred towards the rich people and his hatred of growing up poor. Initially, Yu tried to make all his murders look like robberies gone wrong. But the thing is, he never really bothered to take anything from the victims. This really confused the police. There wasn't much of a cooling period either, and he knew it wouldn't be long till law enforcement would be intensifying the investigation. This is where we finished the first half of his murder trip. Yu sort of took a break from murdering all these rich old people, partly because he needed to lay low, but there was another reason. He fell in love. In December of 2003, Yu met and fell in love with a girl who also happened to be an escort. He felt that love would save him. And he even returned to doing all those artistic things that he used to do, such as painting and writing. Sadly for him, though, this relationship did not last very long. His girlfriend left him once she found out about his criminal history. And you can imagine what this breakup did to you. He was devastated, but of course, we do not really feel sorry for him. This is the second time the love of his life has up and left him. And they both happen to be of this similar profession. He shifted his hatred from the rich to escorts and sex workers in general. He believed that all his misfortunes was caused by women and that they deserved to be killed. It could be presumed that he also felt hatred towards women as a child, knowing that his mother did not want him. So, in a typical fashion, he decided to put all the blame on the women, and thus begins part two. Yu began to plan his return to the world, find different tools for his kill kit planning out his murders, and he even went so far as to make a fake police badge. And apparently it was very well made. Remember, this guy was a bit of an artist. 
His first killing of Part 2 occurred in the following year, in March of 2004. He murdered a 23-year-old escort by strangulation. He dismembered her body and tossed her parts all over the city. This killing brought you happiness, satisfaction, and more importantly, confidence. So he went out and did his thing. His second victim would be beat unconscious, then decapitated. He would smash the head some more with his hammer, and then mutilate the body. He disposed of this body in a nearby construction area. This became his pattern. He would get escorts back to his house where he would murder them, or he would use his fake police badge to scare the escorts into going with him. He would take them back to his house and proceed to kill them. His victims were all dismembered at his home. Then he would head out to rural mountainous areas and dispose of the parts. He leered and murdered a total of 11 women. Apparently, he took taxis to these rural mountainous areas to dispose of the body parts, which is really bold. Like we see in so many serial killings all over the world, prostitutes and sex workers get the least amount of attention from the public and from law enforcement. When they go missing, or end up dead, police will regard this as one of their work risks. This line of business was viewed as criminal anyway, so these women were not able to protect themselves. If anything happened to them, they would most definitely hesitate to call the police and would probably just let it go. You was probably aware of this, knowing that society probably didn't care much about these women. Yu's downfall happened on July 15, 2004. He had arranged a meet-up with a masseuse from one of the massage parlors he frequented. Clearly, he was being very cocky, as he had already murdered two women from that massage parlor. Did he think that no one would notice that girls kept disappearing after going to him? Well, at least the massage parlor's employer noticed, and he decided to call the police as soon as Yu called again, requesting a masseuse. I think his arrest was slightly anticlimactic, but as long as this guy was off the streets, I have zero complaints. The police arrived and were waiting for Yu to show up, and once he did show up, they cuffed him and took him to the police station. Once he was brought down to the police station, the police had difficulty tying him to all the serial killings. Yu took advantage of the confusion, faked an epileptic seizure, and escaped. Once he did escape, he bought some sleeping pills on his way and headed home. He claimed that he planned to head to the Incheon Harbor the next day to commit suicide but he was apprehended the following day when he was on his way to the train station. During his initial interrogation, he first confessed to killing 19 people, then 20, then 26. Some of his victims did not match his victim profile, being neither rich nor a sex worker. It would be believed that he could have murdered many, many more. A month after his arrest, he admitted to eating parts of his victims after dismembering them. He specifically said he ate their livers, as livers are considered a good iron supplement. 
Okay, maybe animal liver, but I really don't know about human liver. Although he claims to have eaten human flesh, there really is no concrete proof of this. He really could have just been trying to sound edgy. The prosecutors in this case said that it is difficult to determine whether or not he is telling the truth, as serial killers tend to exaggerate. His motives were pretty clear, though. He grew up poor, so he resented the rich. He would commit his murders on these rich elderly citizens in broad daylight, because that is when most of their neighbors would not be home. He also had abandonment issues with his mother, his wife, and his girlfriend. So he hated women, especially sex workers. You admitted that he was also influenced by another serial killer called Jung Do Young, who targeted and killed rich people in 1999 to the year 2000. You would also take the police to the areas where he disposed of the body parts, and in one single day, all 11 bodies would be discovered. During his trial, Yu refused to defend himself or have a defense. He was being a real jackass by showing zero remorse and telling everyone that he would not have stopped killing. He continued to be as uncooperative as he could, refusing to appear in court, threatening the family of the victims, recanting confessions, attempting to attack bystanders, and so on. Yu was sentenced to death on December 13, 2004, for 20 counts of murder. He stated that while he felt sorry for his victims, he would definitely kill a hundred more if he were to be released. His most famous comment or quote about his murders roughly translate to, Women should not be sluts, and the rich should know what they have done. Hmm, I'm not really sure what he means by what the rich have done except be rich, so I guess that's what he means. Clearly, he thought he was trying to teach everybody a lesson. Yu's father and older brother all died from epileptic seizures, so he felt that he would most likely die in the same manner anytime or anywhere. So he seized every day like it was his last day by doing what he loved, killing the rich and the sex workers. This is a different way of viewing Carpe Diem. Although Yu was sentenced to death, he is still alive and well and could be found chilling in his prison cell. His case brought on a huge debate on capital punishment, and while South Korea does have the death penalty, it has not been carried out since 1997. When Yu was asked by reporters about how he felt about the death penalty, he told them that it would be cruel to sentence someone to life imprisonment where they die a slow death. Really cruel? I guess it wasn't cruel when he murdered all those innocent people, right? Logic. He also believes that it is a waste of money to keep people like himself alive, and he is against abolishment of the death penalty. Yu's lawyers insist that he does feel remorse and does want to apologize for his actions, except his actions tell a whole different story. His lawyer is also trying to get Yu off death row, 
saying that if the death sentence were to be reinstated because of you, then 60-some other death row inmates would likely die as well. In his opinion, killing you is not the answer. The best revenge would be to make you regret his crimes. Do you agree with this statement? Or do you think he's just trying to work for his client? Following Yu's capture, an online fan club popped up called the Coolest Murderer Yu Yong Chul's Fan Cafe. These people were mostly anonymous and would praise Yu for his murders, referring to him as their hero. Obviously, this fan club received a ton of criticism where people would call them cowards or asking if they would use their real identity to confess their love towards you. The fan club retaliated by saying that you'd kill 20 people in 10 months without getting caught. Isn't that pretty cool? Eh, no. Plus, his victims were just rich old people and masseuse anyway. They were still people. They also would say that society as a whole should be blamed for his murders. The fan club did not last very long, thank god. A movie loosely based on Yu's murders was released in 2008, called Chaser. The protagonist is not a police officer or from the murderer's point of view. Instead, it's from the point of view of an ex-detective turned pimp. After realizing that many of his girls began to go missing, he decides to look into it. If you guys can find this movie with subtitles, I would really recommend it. It's pretty intense, and it really got my blood boiling. It's a good movie. One more thing before I leave you. This guy was also dubbed the raincoat killer, and here is why. It was said that he would wear a yellow raincoat when he was set out to kill. Since his weapon was a hammer, blood would be likely to get all over the place. By wearing a raincoat, you take it off once you're done, and you're good as new. One Reddit user shared a story about his mother's friend, who pretty much had a near-death experience with you. I found an audio version of this on YouTube, and here goes the story. This is a story that happened to my mum's friend in Korea about 10 years ago. Every time I hear the story, I still get the chills. My mum's friend lived in an apartment complex in Seoul. She was a stay-at-home mother with a young daughter and her husband worked during the days. One day, she was coming home from running errands with her daughter and got into the elevator in her building. When she got on, she noticed there was a man wearing a cap and a yellow raincoat, and he kept his head low so she really couldn't see his face. She immediately felt uneasy, and she made her daughter stand to her side furthest away from the man. What made her feel even more uncomfortable was that when she pressed the button for her floor, there was no other lit number, and on top of that, she noticed that he was carrying something wrapped inside a newspaper close to his side. Things started to click in my mum's friend's head when she started to panic and decided to take out her cell phone and pretend she was calling home for her husband, who was obviously really not at home and at work. She started saying things like, Oh, I'm on the elevator and about to get off, can you get the door for me? and making it seem like her husband was waiting at home. When the elevator did reach her floor, she quickly got off and grabbed her daughter and started to walk as fast as she could to her apartment. 
she noticed that the man also got off on her floor and was slowly following her down the hallway. When my mum's friend got to her door, she started to bang on it and shout, Hey husband, I'm home. Please open the door. And kind of pretended like he was coming to answer the door. Upon seeing this, the man in the yellow raincoat started to walk away back towards the elevator. When he seemed far away enough, my mum's friend quickly picked up her daughter and slid open her daughter's passcode thingy and started to frantically punch in her keycode. But the problem was that the buttons would make sounds so that the man knew now that no one was going to answer the door for her. And he turned around and started to run back towards her. My mum's friend at this point was practically screaming and when she finally got her door to open, the first thing she did was throw her daughter in through the door. When she got in herself, she saw that the man was pretty much inches from her door, but she managed to shut it and lock it before he could wedge his hand or weapon into the door. Afterwards, looking through the door's peephole, she saw that the man was walking away back towards the elevator. Several months later, my mum's friend was watching the news and there was coverage on the capture of a serial killer named Yu Young Chul who used to kill a lot of prostitutes. She told my mum that she could never forget the dread she felt when she saw the all-too-familiar yellow raincoat and hat that he was wearing when he was apprehended. Okay, so doesn't this story sound unbelievably terrifying? And it's true. When he was apprehended, he was wearing a yellow raincoat with a cap. I don't know if it's the same cap, but it still seems pretty creepy. I did contact the original Reddit user who posted this, and he agreed to let me use this for my podcast, and he also happened to swear on his liver that this was a true story. I actually found that inappropriately funny. So there you have it. This is the case of the rich and the woman hater, Yu Young Chul. I do wonder if there will be any more updates with his case, as he is still alive but on death row. But if there are any updates in the future, I will most definitely keep everybody posted. Okay, so I had a bit of a difficult time recording this episode because the guy's last name sounded so similar to you, as in Y-O-U. And it really bugged me that I was using the wrong tense after you, as in, you was going to jail. But in fact, I was referring to the guy with the last name you. Uh, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but this episode took a couple of tries, and I think I finally got it. So thanks for bearing with me. And if I did sound a bit hesitant, you know why now. I would like to give a shout out to the following people for reviewing my podcast. From Canada, Mike Brown, the host of the Dark Poutine podcast. From the UK, Wormwood1960. And from Sweden, the host of True Crime Sweden. From the US, ODM3, JLEJLAR, and Film Vault Fan. Thank you guys. As for this week's recommended podcasts, I would like to recommend Fairy Tales for Unwanted Children by Scott Thrower and Mysteries and Urban Legends. These are really great podcasts for people who are into anything creepy and mysterious, so please take a listen if you haven't already.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you're somehow enjoying this podcast, please help me by reviewing, rating, and subscribing. Please also join me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Username Asian Madness Pod. My email is asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Please write me if you have any comments, suggestions, or just want to say hi to me. I'm your host, Jessica, aka Demad Asian. Till next time. <laughs>